Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to have everybody. I'm amazed that you came back. <laughs> but I'm so glad you did. Are you listening? Yes. I'm so glad you did. Thanks to all the helps, everybody that's helps around here, everybody that prays, everybody that believes God. It all matters. It all helps. It all contributes. Thank you to everybody who helps around here. Thank you. Thank you. Very much a team effort. So, um, as usual, I, I have uh, a lot. And um, some of the stuff I have, I would consider it revolutionary. I always make a big deal of everything because it's all good and it's all true and it's all life-changing. Some of the stuff I want to get into, and I don't know if I'll be able to quite get to it today. Maybe I can, but if not, for sure next week. Stuff that I've never preached before, it's not like it's a new revelation. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Stuff I've never preached before and stuff that when I saw it, I said, my life is going to be forever different. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get there. Uh, but so just let's believe together. Let's um, stay receiving from the Lord, and let's let Him bring us in to these things. We were talking about humility and honor, and that how uh, humility always precedes honor. Before honor, there is humility. And we were talking about a couple of the different characteristics of a humble man, a truly humble man. And there's, there's much, much more on this, but we were talking about how a humble man is, number one, teachable. Then we were talking about how a humble man admits his mistakes. He repents to those he sinned against. A humble man receives forgiveness, and then he adjusts as necessary. So a humble man admits his mistakes. I didn't lose anybody there, did I? All right. <laughs> you got to be willing to go with me. It's, it's kind of hard when you say something, people are like, I'm not ready to admit. You know, how, how can we go further, right? You can always feel when somebody puts the brakes on. So, uh, just stay open and receive the love of God, and He'll get us through all of this. The humble man admits his mistakes. And let me go ahead and say this. In everything that we teach and all we look at in the Word of God, we're not here to be, and I'm not here certainly to be anybody's judge. In fact, I found out that I have a full-time job judging myself. I've got a full-time job judging myself. So the purpose of the Word is not to judge anybody. We're not trying to judge anybody, but um, we're here to judge and examine ourselves through the Word of God. And that's what I want to get into. But a humble man, he admits his mistakes. He repents to those he sinned against. He goes ahead and receives his forgiveness, and then he adjusts as necessary, right? I want to open up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11... And I want to talk about judging ourselves. Aren't we thankful for the victory of the cross? Aren't we thankful for the shed blood of Jesus? Aren't we thankful for the gift of righteousness? Aren't we thankful for the blood of Jesus that we can come boldly to the throne of grace? Thank God for the victory of the cross. One thing that the victory, I just want you to listen to me. One thing that the victory of the cross gives us that you may not have thought about it, that it gives us, it gives us the wonderful right, the wonderful privilege 
and the wonderful responsibility of judging ourselves. The cross gives us that. It's given to us. It gives us the right, the privilege, and the responsibility to be able to judge ourselves. It's a right of ours. It's a privilege of ours, and it's a responsibility of ours to judge ourselves. Without the cross, we wouldn't have the right to do that. But now because of the cross and the victory of the cross, we now have a right and we have the privilege, and we've been given the honor to be able to actually judge ourselves. Think about that. I'm now entitled to be my own judge. How powerful is that? God has given me enough authority, enough power. I can be my own judge, and by being my own judge, I can escape judgment. That's huge. That's good news. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is deep, so that's why I want the Spirit to bring us into it. Because there's some tricks that the enemy's been using, and he's been defeating some believers with these tricks. I believe by the Holy Ghost, some of Satan's operation is going to be exposed in a new way that maybe you haven't seen it before. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read here in verse 23. Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread... When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this remembrance of me. Verse 25, he said this, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Notice verse 28, but let a man examine himself. So here we have a first reference to the idea of me examining myself, examining myself. It doesn't say examine your brother. It says examine yourself. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And those of us that have been taught, we don't know everything about verse 29, (laughs) but we do know a few things. What we know about verse 29 is it's important for us to discern the Lord's body in more ways than one. Number one, discerning the reality that Jesus' body was broken for us. Discerning that, understanding that, that His body was broken for us so that now by His stripes we are healed. And that's something that we need to discern and understand even when we receive communion and even every day of our lives, that his body was broken for us. But then the other very real and practical side of discerning the Lord's body is the idea of discerning the reality of the body of Christ. And that we're not alone, but by the Holy Spirit, we were baptized or immersed into the body of Christ. And now Christ is one body. Christ is. Who is Christ? Christ is now one body, many members. And so it's important for us to discern the Lord's body. And verse 30 says this, for this reason, for this reason, right, when we don't discern the Lord's body, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, 
and many sleep. Many are weak, many are sick, and the word sleep there means many die. Many are weak, many sick, many die. Why? Because they don't discern the Lord's body. So these things are important. And then verse 31, it says this, for if we would judge ourselves, notice this, we would not be judged. If we would judge ourselves, what would happen? We would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So that's powerful. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, the Holy Ghost through Paul, and Paul specifically, was dealing with the church in Corinth uh, because they were getting drunk during the communion service. We had a little bit of, um, I would call it like class snobbery going on. Some of those of the upper class were looking down at those of the lower class. You can read through the book of 1 Corinthians and you can find out, you know, they had a lot of carnality issues, envy, strife, divisions, um, sexual immorality, all of these different things. But here he's talking about not discerning the Lord's body. And that's why the command of love is so important for us. And Jesus gave us the command of love um, as a safeguard for us, a command of love. Why would he command us? Because he wants us to keep out of trouble. And so this should always be at the forefront of our thinking that we have a command of love. Whether we feel like loving or not, we love anyway because we've been commanded to love. And things are going to go much better for us if we just love. And in case we forget the characteristics of divine love, then, of course, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13, and you can read the characteristics of the divine agape kind of love. But let's get back to this again. He said, verse 31, he said, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So when I read that, of course, I think to my smart little self, well, I thought Jesus was already judged for my sins. I thought Jesus was already judged for my sins, and if Jesus was already judged for my sins, how could I be judged? And then I thought, well, maybe Paul didn't know that. No, Paul knew what he was talking about. The Holy Ghost through Paul knew what he was talking about. So evidently, even though Jesus has already been judged for my sins, if I don't judge myself, I can still my life can still be positioned in such a place that I'm open for judgment. Otherwise, just tear the page out, right? The Apostle Paul was the one who wrote the in Christ revelation. If anybody understands the gospel, the Apostle Paul understands the gospel. And he's the one, the Holy Ghost through him said, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Which means, and he's writing to a New Testament Spirit-filled Holy Ghost Church. So that tells me that if we don't judge ourselves, we leave ourselves open for judgment, even though our sins have already been judged. Does it make sense so far? No, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is teaching us how to walk in the light of redemption how to walk in the light of redemption. And judging ourselves is part of walking in the light of redemption. 
It's a right. It's a privilege. And it's a responsibility to judge ourselves. 1 John chapter 1. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what Paul said right there says it all. But let's look at some more verses. 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 5. Is it true that if we, the church, if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged? Is that true? Is that what we just read in the Scripture? If we judge ourselves, we won't be judged? So does it make sense then if we don't judge ourselves, we leave ourselves open for judgment? I mean, if we are intelligent, I believe we're intelligent. I believe we can reason. I believe reason's not bad. I believe above all, the Bible should make sense. When the Bible stops making sense, we've lost sense. All right, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message that we've heard of him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here, if we say that we have fellowship with him, there's no darkness in him, in, in him and we walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. All right, so right here, we find out what it means to walk in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? To walk in darkness is what? To not practice the truth. So for me to walk in darkness, it means I see something, I know something, I understand something, but I don't walk in it. I ignore what I see. I ignore what I know. I just say, well, it's all taken care of by Jesus anyway. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, right? And what is the light? The Bible says the entrance of the word of God. When the word of God comes in, it brings light. And why does the Word of God come and light come? So that we can walk in the light. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. So when we walk in the light of what we see and what we know and what we understand, you know what? We're covered. Our back is covered. Our blind spots are covered. We're covered. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So again, who's he talking to? He's making the case that if we're walking in darkness and then we say, I have no sin, we're, we're, we're lying. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a privilege to judge ourselves. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, 
we have to understand this. If we're going to walk in the light of redemption, we have to walk, number one, in the light of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. But then we also have a personal response and a responsibility to what we see and what we know to be true. Paul referred to that as the testimony of his conscience. In 2 Corinthians, he said, the, my, my testimony, my boasting is this, the testimony of my conscience. That was his personal response and responsibility to what he saw and knew to be true and based upon what Jesus had done for him on the cross. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, so again, verse seven says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, right? So part of walking in the light is when the light comes and you see that you're wrong, you can come and you can confess it. But when you don't acknowledge what you see and you just continue on your way, you're now walking in darkness. And how many of you know the devil hides in darkness? And how, how many of you know eventually he'll bite you? So these things are written for our benefit. Because of the victory of the cross, it gives me the right, it gives me the privilege and the responsibility of judging myself. Chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, good news, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is one who pleads the cause or pleads the case of another. Jesus is there with his shed blood, pleading our cause and pleading our case. Right? There's no condemnation at the throne of grace. In fact, the throne now, it's not the throne of judgment, it's the throne of grace and it's the throne of mercy. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So Jesus is the propitiation, which means he satisfied the wrath of God for our sins, right? Which means we don't have to bear the penalty for our sins. We have the right to judge ourselves and get mercy and grace instead of judgment. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, this should be good news. Should be good news. If it's not, I'm wondering why. I would wonder why it wouldn't be good news. It makes me think, what are we hiding? Why wouldn't this be good news? that anything that's revealed to you that you know to be true, you can come to the throne of grace and get grace and mercy for it. Amen. Or you can choose to pretend you don't see it and walk in darkness, and there's all kinds of demons and evil spirits in darkness. So it's a good news message. Still gospel. <laughs> Hebrews 4. Guys, let me just go ahead and say this, and then we'll dig into it more. We know this, the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what he does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. And you know what? He does steal and kill and destroy 
from Christians. And you know what? He ought not. But you know what? There are reasons that he does. And that's what we're digging into in the Word of God. Yeah, we can just be blind and say, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 I have the victory. And I don't know. No, we're going to have to think, we're going to have to get a little deeper than that. Right? What's the Bible say? Study to show yourself approved. Study. In other words, you can't be ignorant of the Bible. Study to show yourself approved. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, somebody who can rightly divide and understand the Word of God. Nobody's taking grace away from us. Being able to judge yourself is total grace. Judgment's in your hands. Judgment's in my hands, unless I choose not to judge myself. Hebrews chapter 4, right? We talked about how the Word of God will expose us and how we, we actually want to welcome that exposure. Let's look at it again. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Let's begin reading in verse 11. It says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, from the word, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Notice that final part, to whom we must give account. So what that tells me is that we will answer for what we see and what we know. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, back to verse 12. Joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, right? The New Living Translation says that the Word of God exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Amplified Bible talks about the purposes of our heart, right? So when we come to the Word of God, it exposes. You know, how many of you know the Word of God will, will expose unbelief? It'll expose unbelief because it always says the same thing to me. And so it'll always expose my unbelief so that I can repent. See, guys, think about this. Repentance is not bad. Repentance is progress. Repentance is always progress. Remember when Jesus said this? He said, there will be more joy in heaven. I was thinking about this. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over many others who don't need repentance. Why more joy? Because repentance is progress. Repentance is progress. It's progress. Guys, it's not a crime to see that you're wrong. It only becomes a crime when you stay in the wrong. It's not a crime to see that you're wrong, right? The Word of God, it exposes as much as we can handle. And why does it expose? It exposes so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and instead of getting judgment, we can lay hold of a big batch of mercy. 
Don't you love it? Go back here again. There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let's hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. How? Come boldly. Everybody say, come boldly. Come boldly. I like the invitation, come boldly, right? So this is written in the context of the word of God laying us open. And so when we see things, what should we do? Hey, because of what Jesus has done, he was the propitiation for our sins. It's now the throne of grace. It's not the throne of judgment. We can go there every time and every time there will be no condemnation. Every time there will be mercy. Every time there will be grace. Provided I judge myself. But when I don't judge myself, I leave myself to be judged. And I don't understand everything that means, but I know I don't want any part of it. I don't have to know everything about what it means to be judged, to know that I'm going to stay away from it. And how can I stay away from it? By judging myself. Because of the victory of the cross, I have the right, the privilege, and the responsibility to now judge myself. I'm empowered. Verse 16 again, let us therefore come boldly. And guys, how can you come boldly even though the word of God has laid you open and you feel naked and you feel temporarily exposed? How can you come boldly? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and a living way which he consecrated for us. The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. No condemnation in the blood. Somebody sang a song. They said, there's not one thing in me that the blood won't cleanse. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. There's not one thing in me that the blood of Jesus won't cleanse. And I have the privilege to be able to judge myself. Let us come boldly. To what? The throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment. The throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praise the Lord. So when the word of God exposes things in our life, it's a good thing. And why is it a good thing? So that we can go and get grace and mercy for that thing. All right. Let me say it again. Repentance is not bad. It's not bad. Repentance is to adjust to the truth that you see. Repentance is to adjust. That's all. It's to adjust to the truth that you see. And remember, the truth makes you free. Repentance is not bad. Repentance is progress. It means you saw something you haven't seen before and you're acknowledging what you now see. Or it means that you're returning to what you already know to be true. Failure to repent 
allows the enemy to hide in the darkness and eventually bring destruction. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction, right? And who is the proud man? The proud man is the man who doesn't admit his mistakes, but he just carries on. I made this statement. I've never said it before this way, and I thought it was quite good. The Lord would show us mercy if he could. And repentance means he can. And so I added an always. The Lord would always, all he would always show us mercy if he could. And repentance means he can. Why? Because Jesus already paid for it. He is the propitiation for our sins. All right. The Lord delights in mercy. Look at a few of these verses. It should be good news. Micah. That's a new one. I know it'll take you a long time to find it. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I like that. He delights in mercy. First Chronicles 21, verse 13. David. Let's read what David said. And David said to Gad. Now, David was in trouble at this point because he'd numbered Israel when he wasn't supposed to number Israel. The prophet came to him and David said to him, David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord. Why? For his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Mankind will crucify you. God already sent his son Jesus to be crucified for us so that we can get mercy. Psalm 103 and verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. How has He dealt with us? He's now dealt with us according to Jesus. He's dealt with us according to the cross. But guys, sometimes we have to reconcile ourselves to that cross by judging ourselves. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. The Lord delights in mercy. I wrote this down. Jesus was judged for our sins so that we can boldly, so that we can come boldly and judge ourselves without condemnation and get mercy and grace. All right. So now that we know all this, now I understand why the writer of Hebrews said this. 
shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits? Much more readily submit ourselves to the Father of Spirits. And that's written specifically in the context of His correction, His loving correction, which we know, thank God, comes through the Word. Proverbs 28, let's look at this verse 13. I just want you to be reminded of this. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them, what will he get? Mercy. Mercy. It's a privilege to judge yourself. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at those words that are ringing in my spirit. Hebrews 12, verse 9. It says, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Shall we not much more readily? You can see you're almost eager to submit much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. Now, let's go back up to verse 5 because I want to talk about something here in relation to judging yourself. Hebrews 12, verse 5, it says, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Whoa, any sons here? Are you still excited about being a son? Right, this is sonship, right? Sonship 101. Sonship 101, correct me, Father. Or we can say it this way, Sonship 101, Father, show me how to do it better. Show me how to do it better. Show me how you want this done. Show me how to win in this situation. Don't forget the exhortation which speaks specifically to you as sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, right? We know this. Chastening is disciplinary correction. And we know this, that God would deal with us through the correction of His Word. If He can. If He can. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. Why? For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, verse 7 is very powerful. Verse 7 and 8, there's a powerful revelation there. And the Lord brought me back to it. And I haven't talked about it in a long, long time. So we know this, that the Lord corrects us through his word because we are his children and we are his sons. And then verse 7 says this, if you endure chastening, or you endure correction. Let's talk about the word endure. It's important to understand the word endure. You can look it up in the Greek. You can study it for yourself, but I'll tell you what it means. The word endure simply means to come under, to come under. We could say it this way simply, to come under is to submit. He said, if you you submit to the chastening through the word of God, If you submit to the chasing, then what? God is dealing with you as a son. For what kind of son is there who a father doesn't chasten? Verse 8, but if you're without chastening, 
All right, you can look it up, study it for yourself. The word without. The word without means to be separate from, to separate yourself from. It means, let me give you a couple more here. It means to be apart from. It means to be independent of. So if you separate yourself from the discipline of the Word of God, of which all have become partakers, meaning what? God wants to train all His kids this way. But if you separate yourself from the disciplinary correction of the Lord, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now, let's say this. Let me clarify here. The word our, our can be translated as become as. So we know this. If you have faith in Jesus, Jesus is your Lord, you will always be a son of God. Amen. This is not a performance-based Christianity. You will always be a son of God. All right? But when disciplinary correction comes from the Word of God and we are without, we separate ourselves from it, in that area, you become as illegitimate. Meaning what? You don't want to learn from the Father's loving correction of the Word of God? Well, you're going to be like illegitimate. What's illegitimate? An illegitimate child is a child left to himself. And a child left to himself, he's just got to learn through hard times. And what do we know about this? God would spare us hard times. And how does he want to spare us hard times? Through disciplinary correction, all of us. Disciplinary correction through the word of God so that what? We can judge ourselves. So let's read these verses again. Verse 7 onward. Look in your own Bibles. It says, if you endure chastening or if you submit under the discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't discipline? Verse 8, but if you separate yourself from the discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are, you become as illegitimate, not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more what? Submit ourselves. Readily be in subjection to the Father's spirits and live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present time. Ouch. But painful. Ouch. Nevertheless, afterward. Hallelujah. There does come an afterward. There truly does. There is an afterward. There is an afterward. There does come a time when you say, I'm so glad I fixed that thing. There does come a time. There is an afterward. Anybody here who's ever repented of anything, you know there is an afterward where you always say, that little thing was the best thing I ever put away from my life. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Shall we not more readily submit ourselves? All right, let's go on a little bit further before we take a break. Let's talk about the accuser for just a minute. All right, let's go over to Revelation chapter 12. 
Thank you, Lord. Revelation chapter 12. Now, let me go ahead and say this. Just listen to this. And I'm going to use the word legal several times when we talk about the accuser, when we talk about Satan. The accuser is always looking for a legal way in. The Bible says he goes about a thie- as a thief, as a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. Why is he seeking? Because he doesn't have a door everywhere. Doesn't have a door everywhere. And he's always looking for a legal way to get in. And let's face it, let's be honest. In a lot of cases, he's been getting in. Any honest Christians here? If they're stealing, killing, and destroying going on in the lives of Christians, he's been getting in. Does the Lord want it? Of course not. I want to live an honest Christian life. All right. Revelation chapter 12. And let's read here. Verse 9. It says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God. How often? Day and night, day and night, has been cast down, right? So here we learn that the devil is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. So evidently, this accusation thing is going on. Whether we know it or whether we understand it all or how it all operates, this thing of accusation is going on. And why do you suppose he's bothering to accuse? Because he's looking to get a judgment against us. A legal judgment against us so that he can steal, kill, and destroy. All right, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives to the death. So thank God we overcome by the blood of the lamb, right? Redemption and walking in the light of redemption. We overcome him. All right, now, Go over to Ephesians chapter 6, because I think Ephesians 6 is huge. And Ephesians chapter 6 will forever open up your eyes up to the reality that there's more going on around here than just everyday life, a spiritual conflict. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 11, look at it again. That we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, right? So wiles, in the margin of my Bible, it says schemings, right? So the devil has wiles, he has schemings, and I think it's the King James Version that says trickery or tricks. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, right? So this opens up my eyes to the reality of an unseen spiritual world 
and this world is functioning around me right now. Right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against there are spiritual forces at work. All right? So I wrote this down. Think about this. Satan has been defeated by our Lord, by our Savior, and by our substitute. But he still has a legal right to operate on the earth in the affairs of humanity who give him a place. For whatever reason, because of the arrangement of Adam's original lease on the earth and his, his time on the earth, Satan still has a legal right to be here and operate on the earth and to get involved in the affairs of humanity for those who what? Give him a place. All right? Now, um, hold your place right here. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. So, guys, we need to go beyond just being excited. And we need to be armed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, of what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice this, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, right? So we learn that in Christ and through the victory of Christ as our substitute, as our Lord, as our Savior, we've been raised up in Christ. We've been made to sit together in Christ. Where? Far above. Principalities, powers, right? Rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, right? We're far above all of it, right? But even though he's already been defeated, right, we still have to contend with him and his wiles and his schemes and his trickery. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, verse 4, whose minds, what? The God of this age has blinded. The God of this age, the King James Version says, the God of this world, right? So Satan is referred to as the God of this world, all right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, it, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. All right, so even though the devil has already been defeated by our Lord, our Savior, and our substitute, and we've been raised and seated far above, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We have still have to contend with the devil's existence, his influence, his schemes, his wiles, and his trickery. Right? So there are certain things that he can do, the devil can do, and certain that he, things that he cannot do legally. That's why it's so important for you and I as Christians to walk in the light. Because as we walk in the light, you know what? We give no place to the devil. Again, let me say this, walking in the light of redemption refers to not only what Jesus has done for us, but also our personal response and responsibility to what we know to be true. This is also known as the testimony of our conscience. All right? 
Let's look at another verse. I think you'll find this revealing. Go over to Proverbs 26. We're making really good progress here. Proverbs 26. All right, listen to this. Let's be honest. If the devil is still stealing, killing, and destroying in the lives of many Christians, there must be reasons. Proverbs 26 and verse 2. It says, like a, a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. A curse, in other words, the Bible says, there shall not be a curse without a cause. Right, and we all know the good news of Galatians 3.13. Put it on the screen, Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, right? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Yet the book of Proverbs says, if there's a curse, there's a cause. Because for us as believers, the curse shouldn't be there. For us as believers, there shouldn't be ongoing stealing, killing, and destroying. First John, go in your Bibles, chapter 5. I want you to see this one with your eyes, 1 John chapter 5. Oh, my. 1 John chapter 5. You know, guys, I'll be honest with you. When I see these things, there's a tendency for me to say, what's a big deal? Just mind your own business and live your own life and just let them live their own life. But I recognize we were born into a conflict and there is a spiritual warfare going on, and people are going to hell, and Christians are being defeated, and it need not be so. And I'm also reminded of this, that warfare is in telling the truth. Warfare is not necessarily warring in tongues. Can be by the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's direction. But I'll tell you what, for sure I know there's great warfare in preaching the truth. When the truth is preached, what happens? The lights come on. And when the lights come on, we don't have to live in darkness anymore. We can walk in the light. And when we walk in the light, we walk in the light even as He is in the light. And everywhere He is is good. 1 John chapter 5, because I'll just tell you, in my flesh, I'd rather mind my own business. You know, how many of you know it's easier to just be selfish and not share the gospel with somebody? You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you just didn't want to bother? But you know what? Again, we, uh, how about the testimony of our conscience? our personal response and responsibility based upon what we know to be true. The apostle Paul said this. He said, woe to, woe, woe to me if I don't preach. I've seen too much. I know too much. I've got to open up my mouth. Right? First John chapter 5. So, so as you know, we're not just having a seminar for the sake of a seminar. But, right? But warfare's going on. I mean, like warfare. I mean, it's exciting. But warfare is going on. I mean, the fact that we have an environment like this where no cell phones are going off is cool. 
The fact that we have an environment like this where light bulbs and lights are popping on everywhere in your mind and in your soul is cool. It's powerful. This is warfare. When you conduct a meeting, when you have a Bible study, when you share the gospel with somebody, put on the army fatigues, man. Warfare. That's warfare already. The devil hates that. And the reason, you'll look around at natural, everyday people, and they're living their own lives and just doing life, and it seems like it doesn't matter. You know why? The devil doesn't bother with them. They're lost anyway. But you're a target. You're a threat. You're armed. You've got truth. You've got the gospel. You've got the message. We are light in the Lord. Amen? But, but of course, greater is he who's in us and he who's in the world. But a lot of times we have to exert ourselves when we'd rather not. Preach the gospel when we'd rather not. Bother when we'd rather not bother. Do I have any friends here today? All right, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin But he who has been born of God, what does he do? He keeps himself and what? The wicked one does not touch him. Okay, so you know what that tells me by default? Because I'm a thinking man, it tells me if I don't keep myself, the wicked one might touch me. But for the one who keeps himself, the wicked one, what? Can't touch him. He doesn't touch him. But if I don't keep myself, if I don't judge myself, then what? He has opportunity to touch me. So we keep ourselves. And of course, 1 John, a lot is mentioned in the book of 1 John regarding the commandment of love. And that's why it's so important that we keep ourselves in love, right? We don't want to do anything to hurt our brother. We don't want to do anything to hurt our sister. We don't want to do anything to tear down another person. To do so, what? Is to leave yourself wide open for the enemy to take a shot. Right? These things are not just about niceties. Well, we're Christians. We should walk in love. There's more to it than that. If we don't walk in love, you know what? Eventually, you're going to get hammered. Not by the Lord's hammer. But the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Hallelujah. And sometimes when you're in the Word of God, you'll see areas where you haven't been walking in love. So what do you do? Don't argue. Don't defend yourself. Right? How many of you know pride makes excuses? But humility will adjust. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Willing to yield. And so times you'll see where you haven't, wa- you haven't been walking in love. What do you need to do? You need to judge yourself. Come, confess it. <laughs> Declare it for what it is. And if the enemy would try to bring that up, no, no case, no cause, no place. If we would judge ourselves, good news, we would not be judged. 1 Peter chapter 5. We have now been put in the powerful position. 
to judge ourselves and to escape judgment. Repentance is my friend. Oh my, oh my. Repentance is my friend. All right, hold your place there. We're not quite done. Go to 2 Timothy. You got to see this one. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Everybody say, repentance is my friend. But again, let's be honest, guys. Is the devil stealing, killing, and destroying in places where he shouldn't? Yes, he is. Are there reasons? Yes, there are. Can we know the reasons? Yes, we can. Can we slam the door shut on him? Yes, we can, and yes, we will. And one area we can do it is by judging ourselves. How many of you know the, the tendency is to judge my neighbor? But Jesus said, why do you look at that little bitty speck in your brother's eye? You got a big board in your own eye. But how many of you know human nature, the nature of the flesh is criticize you, examine you, judge you, cast judgment on you. Balikdad, we're supposed to be judging ourselves. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Shout hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah! So guys, I saw this. The bait, one of the bait of Satan is try to get me out of bounds. And one area he tries to get me, you and I, get us out of bounds is to get us to step out of bounds and take a place that's not ours, and that's the place of judge. I mean, there are supernatural temptations to judge for a believer. But just because we're tempted doesn't mean it's a sin, doesn't mean we yielded to it. But the devil's always trying to get, he's trying to get us out of bounds and he's trying to get us to take the seat of the judge. Why? And here's why. Because Jesus said, if you don't judge others, guess what? You won't be judged. The devil's trying to get you to take the place of judge. Why? To get a judgment against you. This is the revelation that is, will forever change my life. I ain't judge. And judgment is a part of my past. Because if I don't take the place of judge, then you know what? The devil can't get a judgment against me. And if I'll judge myself, then the devil can't get a judgment against me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Second Timothy chapter two. Woo. When I, when I got this revelation, I said, woo, I said it out loud all by myself. I said, you know what? My life has changed forever. My life has changed forever. I, I'm absolutely done with judging, done with judging with the exception of I'm a major judge of myself. Again, there are legalities in the realm of the Spirit. The accuser of the brethren is looking to get a judgment against you. If we walk in the light as the Father is in the light, you know what? He can't get anything in on us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. It says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all able to teach, patient. Humility 
in humility correcting those who are in opposition, notice if, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. So I saw that right there, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. And I saw there, repentance is granted, repentance is a gift. How many of you know, to be able to see something that you hadn't seen before, truth, and adjust to that truth, how many of you know that's a gift from God? Oh, Father, that's why I pray, Lord, oh, Father, grant me repentance through the truth. Because we shouldn't take repentance for granted. It's a gift, the gift of repentance. It's granted by the Father the opportunity to repent and judge ourselves and escape judgment. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. So, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, sir. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So I saw that again. The only ones that get grace are the humble. I want more grace. I want more ability. I want more supply. With the, enough of the grace of God, you can overcome anything. You can do anything with enough of the grace of God. The humble get the grace. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Notice verse 8. These are the words that jumped out at me. Be sober. Be vigilant. Everybody say, be sober. Be sober. Right? Be sober, right? It must mean what? Be on guard. Be sober. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And then Ephesians chapter 4. So if nothing else, I pray these messages would make you more sober-minded. The curse causeless shall not come. And thank God Christ redeemed us from the curse. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, verse 27, nor give place to the devil. The margin of my Bible says, nor give opportunity to the devil. Right? The devil is seeking an opportunity. One way we can give him no opportunity is by judging ourselves. The revelation of the morning, among all other revelations for this first session is, if I will judge myself guess what? I will not be judged. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.